Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Daisy Cousins Presents. I'm Daisy Cousins, and I am thrilled to be right here on ADH-TV every week, twice a week, and goodness, do we have a fun show for you tonight. Reality television really started to make its mark on culture in the early 2000s. From adventure-based shows like Survivor and I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, to talent showcases like So You Think You Can Dance, The Voice, and of course, the iconic Australian Idol, episodic appointment viewing of various reality TV shows was certainly a staple of my adolescence. However, there never was a reality TV show quite like a more modern phenomenon, Married at First Sight, or MAFS for short. Part dating show, part Big Brother, and all psychological experiment, the show, which pairs up couples based on psychological profiles that will supposedly match each other, has contestants literally get married upon first meeting and then sees how they go from there. The show is a juggernaut in popular culture. I must be one of the only people who has, believe it or not, never watched it. And the show has been analysed through every lens you can think of, including, of course, a feminist lens. But as with all reality TV, maths is the furthest thing from reality and can be quite toxic. However, it did jumpstart the career of my guest for this evening, and what a great thing it did, because it enabled him to insert conservative values into mainstream Australian popular culture, which, considering culture is very much dictated by the left, is no small feat. Of course, my guest has paid a price for this, both personal and professional, but still he keeps on keeping and is now a podcaster and a social media influencer who dares to say what so many are thinking but don't feel they can voice. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present to you tonight the dashingly debonair, the coolly conservative, the one, the only, Dean Wells. Dean, fantastic to have you here. How are you this evening? Oh, my God. After that intro, I'm so much better. <laughs> That's the best intro I've ever had, so I'm uh, much better now. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm glad you liked the intro. I meant every word of it. I'm really oh. pleased to have you here. This will be a lot of fun. Excellent. 
Now also, before we go any further, I have to congratulate you because you just got engaged. That's Congratulations, right. that's wonderful news. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Amy and I met like just on a year ago now and um, just a bit of a whirlwind. We just fell in love really quickly. She moved in with me after something like three or four weeks, um, which sounds crazy, but <laughs> we just got along really well. And um, yeah, I popped the question and it's all happening. So yeah, we're stoked. Well, it's, it's wonderful. And as the saying goes, when you know, you know. So I'm thrilled, really thrilled that's happened for you too. Thank you. Third time lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, third time lucky. Let, let, <laughs> let, let's hope it really is third time lucky. It's wonderful news. Now, Dean, you are a star of season five of the hugely popular TV show Married mm. at First Sight. In a nutshell... And I'm aware that a nutshell might not be enough. Mm. Tell us a bit about your time on that show. Oh, look, it was wild. Like, I, I, I didn't apply for the show. I was just sitting at my local bar one day. I'd heard of it. I was never really a big fan of it or reality TV in general, but I got recruited off the street, basically. Uh, I got told a lie, which was, oh, we're going to match you with, like, the perfect woman. We've got all these scientific processes and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, before I know it, I'm on the show. Um... And I just wasn't matched with someone, you know, that was right for me. It turns out, you know, Tracy, God bless her, she's a lovely person, but, you know, from a romantic perspective, we were just completely wrong for each other. And, you know, in the middle of all the filming and drama and everything that's going on, you sort of just get caught up in it all. And, yeah, I just I feel like um, I was a bit taken advantage of and, and exploited a bit for you know, to make good ratings for the show. Um, but at the same time, look, I had a great time. It's exciting. It's it's one of the most fun, intense, I don't know, experiences anyone could ever have. And I don't regret a minute of it. But, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, you realise, you know, they're exploiting us. Um, they have an agenda. They, they want to drum up sort of political media interest, um, which they did quite effectively with me. Um, and yeah, I don't know, it's been a wild ride. It's changed my life in, in so many different ways. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting ride, let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds fascinating. You hear about reality TV, but so, many, so few people get to experience it from the inside. And it's, it's amazing how, how you say, you know, they said they were going to pay you with someone who was right for you and you didn't feel that Tracy was, even though she was a lovely person. That's kind of the, the thing about so-called reality mm. TV, isn't it? I mean, if I, I think back to Australian Idol, that was my big reality TV show oh, really? when I was a teen. Oh, we all loved Idol. Yeah. But you, you remember those auditions where someone would come to and sing to the judges and they would just be absolutely terrible, yeah. like so bad. They'd clearly just be there to be made fun of. Totally. From memory, the singers have to go through a pre-audition. Um, yeah. Before, don't they? Before they make it to the judges. So the judges are letting people through for the purpose of humiliating oh, yeah. them. That, 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 that's how it works, isn't it? Oh, for sure, 100%. And that, that's, that makes good TV. And, you know, there's, there's got to be an element of accountability. Like, I, I did choose to go on the show, um, you know, and so I take full responsibility for everything I, I did and said within reason because the tricky editing thing that they do, that, that's what I really have beef with. Um, 
And the the worst example of that with me was they they cut this little promo where they put the word obey in big red letters in a graphic behind my head. And they put me forward as the guy who wanted a wife to obey him, um, which I never said the word obey. I would not say that. Um, and they just, they just edited a few of my words. Like we do an hour long master interview before things start, right? Where you talk about everything like and, and you talk about your life your career beliefs so many different things and they took these few tiny little snippets edited them in a very tricky way and, and sort of made it look like I'm this kind of misogynistic asshole that wants you know a woman to obey me um, that that for me was very deceptive very like just completely unacceptable really um, I, I just do not appreciate being put in that kind of light as that kind of person. Although I do have, you know, somewhat conservative views. I think there's nothing wrong with men being leaders and, you know, trying to take a lead role in a relationship. I would never ever in a million years say that I want a woman to obey me. And, you know, from from the minute I was released as this this character on the show, that that's, that's how they released me and presented me to the world was the guy who wants a woman to obey him. Mm. which was just, you know, from that moment on, my life changed, you know, and it hasn't been the same since. Um, so, yeah, it's been a pretty intense few years. Because mm, they really did make you the villain of that series. I mean, I, I thought it was because of a bit of hanky-panky that happened on the show, but it was it was obviously from the promo, wasn't mm. it? They took someone who was, I think you described yourself as as the alpha, as an alpha male. I, I read that that actually came from a past heartbreak as well. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it? It was an, ex, an ex-girlfriend yeah. who said something quite cruel to you. Look, Kind of. I wouldn't even say it was cruel. She was just being honest. Like, I think in, in my previous relationship before I was on MAFS, um, I had a girlfriend and, and I probably wasn't pulling my weight as the man around the house. I wasn't taking responsibility. I wasn't really, you know, she was earning more money than me and, and I was just kind of coasting a little bit in life and, mm. and we kind of drifted apart. And um, that forced me, because I really loved this woman and I really cared about her and I didn't really understand what was going wrong. And to her credit, she very honestly, this is later, after we broke up like six or six months later, mm. she came to me and I, I asked her, you know, what was the problem? What was going on? And she said, look, you weren't working hard enough. You weren't providing enough. You weren't being the man. You weren't actually being the alpha male. And, and that's what I'm attracted to. I want an alpha male. I want a man who steps up and, and takes responsibility and takes care of me. Mm. And that was confronting for me. And, and you know, I, I appreciate every single word she said right there. And I took that to heart and, and it made me look at myself and, and look at, well, she's actually 100% right. And from that moment on, I turned my life around. I started building my own business. I started working harder. I started becoming a better man, a better person all around in general, taking responsibility for you know, everything in life, you know, from financially, spiritually, everything. And, and it made me into a better person. And that was all because this woman that I loved asked me and, and was just honest, you know, she just, she just told me that that's what she was looking for in a man. And something just clicked. I was like, you know what? I am the man. I am a man. I am a grown adult male. I should be a bit more responsible. I should be working a bit harder and, and working towards my goals in life. Mm. And I've got this beautiful woman here who, who I should be taking care of and, and, you know, sacrificing a little bit more for for us as a family. And that, that was a life-changing experience for me. And I, I did ex- express some of those things and some of those values 
in that interview. And of course I told the whole backstory of where it all came from. And, and the editors just take <laughs> these one little bits and pieces and, oh, you want to be the alpha male, do you? Oh, all right, we'll use that little bit. Um, and obviously did not even mention the whole story about you know, the woman that I was with actually wanting that, that all, that all got completely edited out and they just take these tiny little snippets. And so, yeah, that that's part of where all that came from. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, we know that's how reality TV works across the board, but it's, it's I always find it confronting, though, when I do hear those stories because it is, it is... To totally unethical. It's a, it's a real shame they did that because you you that that story of first of all it's wonderful you have that attitude and that it did help you turn your life around. Yeah. But second of all what we don't hear a lot of in society certainly not in kind of feminist pop culture is that a lot of women probably most women actually are attracted to what one would call an alpha male. And that doesn't mean anyone who's someone who's domineering or who no. wants them to obey them, but it's someone who is a provider, who, yep. who is masculine, yep. who's not afraid of, of taking the lead when the needs to be the lead needs to be taken. Yep. Women can take the lead in of other course. areas, often it's relationships, but mm. um, that's a concept I want to run by you of the relationship manager and a task manager in relationships. Mm. So right. it's the idea that say one person falls into the role of task manager. It's mm. usually the man and they take care of the logistics. Mm. And another, and it incidentally usually is the woman, turns into the relationship manager. Yep. So they take care of, maintain the emotions in various yeah. relationships. Is that kind of the, a complementarian um, thing that you can get behind, that idea mm. of relationships? Yeah, I think so. And it's th that's the natural order of things. That's, that's how we are, that's how human beings are. And of course there's exceptions to that rule, but in general, women are sort of more in, in touch with their emotional side of things. Men, we we gain acceptance and, and we feel better about ourselves when, when we are the provider, when we're doing the hard yards, doing the hard work. Like look at all the hard jobs that men do, like all the time, all the terrible things like working in a sewer plant or going into battle frontline of a war, like all those kind of things, you know, men, we, we feel better about ourselves and our lives when we're actually doing those things and, and being a strong provider. And, and as I said, I, uh, it completely changed my mindset, this situation with my ex. And I feel like my life has completely changed. I love to take responsibility. And, and you know, I, I was brainwashed by feminism and the whole leftist movement a little bit before that happened. And, and I'd sort of grown up in the 90s where mm. being a strong male was kind of frowned upon. And I, I was definitely brainwashed into not being myself, not realising and being the, the true man that I should be, you know. I, I was trying to be, a, you know, not so masculine, not so feminine, because that was just cool. That's the, that's the only reason. That was, like, the cool thing to do, like, was mm. to be not, like, this strong, conservative male. But then over time I realised that that's just who I am. Mm. And I believe that is true for so many people, the majority of society. And, and like, like you said before, like after going on that show, what I realised is that women are so much more attracted to alpha males. Like <laughs> I was going to events and, you know, everywhere I went, women were coming up to me and usually whispering this in my ear saying, Dean, everything you said in that interview is exactly what I'm looking for in a man. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I mean, thank you. That's amazing. But it was, it was a very uh, interesting quantitative statistical study 
where I realised, <laughs> I mean, I should have known anyway, but this is what women want in general, not all women. We have to put those qualifiers in these days, but in general, that is the natural order of things and it's great. That's how it should be. Why do we, why do we try and fight that? I don't get it. Well, a lot of it with, with women wanting a provider, and again, pop culture kind of um, conveniently forgets this, it's purely primal because women biologically are the ones who get pregnant and have children. And there's yep. a whole physical thing as an understatement that comes along with that, not just with the pregnancy, but also afterwards there's a physical recovery and, there, and there's mm. breastfeeding and that's yep. why women usually are the primary caretakers in, in early childhood. How are people able to kind of dismiss that factor so easily when they criticise um, the talk that women sort of like alpha males? Oh, it's a great question. It's a great question. And, and you know, exactly what you said leads us to another thing that I think about a lot, which is like all these feminists, all these people complaining about masculinity and alpha males and, and you know, all the big problems and this, this silly buzzword, the patriarchy. Mm. Um, well, where, let's just say the patriarchy theory is true, right? Let's just say that men have dominated all of society and men have, you know, sculpted the world that we live in today and everything we have right now is because of this patriarchal system. Well, look where it's got us. Mm. It's the most successful the most, you know, it's the most prosperous, it's the most fair, it's the most equal society and civilization we've ever had in the history of the world. So mm. it's doing pretty good. This patriarchy idea, like, can you name a better country than like Australia where, yes. where women have more respect, more rights? There's laws against discrimination. You know, there's laws protecting every single human being. Like, it's if, if patriarchy is really where this world comes from, then it's pretty bloody good system, if you ask me. <laughs> I think you make an excellent point, Dean. And look, on the subject of patriarchy, it's always struck me that, you know, feminists can complain about patriarchy, but women have been running the patriarchy for hundreds of years because they've been the ones who manage the households. I had oh, exactly. A, yeah, I had, a, I had a chat with a... Um, an older family friend of mine who was talking about when she was uh, growing up in, in the 50s, um, her father was a single-income household. Her father was a, was a tradie. He would yeah. leave the house at 5 in the morning. He'd come home and he'd be in bed by 6.30. He'd work long hours. And on payday, you know what he would do? He would take his pay packet and he would hand it to his wife. Yep. She would take the pay packet. She'd give him an allowance for the week and that was his yep. fun money. Yep. And then she would be the one <laughs> who would manage the household yeah, budget yeah, and she'd okay. pay the bills and she'd do all of that. That's what also gets uh, missed out on in this discussion about, yeah. you know, negative patriarchy, yeah. isn't it? Well, I think <laughs> that's pretty much still happens with me. I Maybe not a, a physical handover of the pay packet, but, you know, all my money, all my time, all my resources go towards taking care of my fiance. Like, that's that's what my whole life is about, you know, and, and everything that I do to go out and make a living like a Basically, mm. hands, it all hands over to, to the wife at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and, I mean, that's how it should be. Like, we're, life is about having children, making a family. This, this, none of this world exists without family values and, and procreation and, mm. and men, you know, taking care of their wife and, and helping to live a successful, comfortable life. Like, that's, if that's not what life is about, then what is it about?
Mm, yes, I think we're we're <clears throat> we're lack I'm going full social conservative on this show tonight. We're lacking a little <laughs> a little bit of social conservatism, and you know, I mean, a balance is always good. There are always outliers, but you know, the nuclear family has worked for for a long time, and I think we are missing a lot of that in this popular culture, and it's unfortunate. Um, now, I want to step sideways to UK maths. Mm. Um, a few weeks ago, you pointed out that Maths UK had a transgender bride on this season. Let's take a look at some of your commentary. Mm. Maths UK has a transgender bride this season. Here she is, Ella. Seems like a lovely person. Got not a bad word to say about her or her partner, Nathaniel. I hope they work out. Seem like a lovely couple. But I did take issue with this one comment. Don't many people reject me. That they don't give me a chance. They just see trans and they don't get to know me as a person. I don't want to be stood there being rejected by him or his family for something that I can't change. Love, it's not personality that's the problem. It's every man's right to want their partner to be a biological woman. And that doesn't make you a bad person or hateful or whatever. It's the same as if I went up to a lesbian and said, oh, hey, how are you? I know you're a lesbian and you're only into girls, but hey, I've got a really good personality. Can you just like put a hold on your personal sexual preferences and make an exception for me because I've got a great personality? How do you think that would go down? Now, in the kind of current gender political climate, that's a massive, a massive sticking point, isn't it, for trans mm. activists? You know, that the notion that if you don't want to date or have relations with a trans person, um, then you're somehow transphobic. Mm. But that's not the case, is it? Oh, 100% no. And, and this is exactly the point I was trying to make with that video. It's just like, what? I, I'm not transphobic. Like, I have trans friends and, and you know, to the best of my ability, I will, you know, respect them. I even called this person a she. Um, but yeah, it, it's like kind of been suggested that you're transphobic if you don't want to hook up with like a person just because they're trans. I'm sorry, I've been in this situation, right? <laughs> Crazy story. Yes, I have been caught out. I was out one night in the city, met a girl who I thought was absolutely beautiful. Uh, we start talking go back to, end up going back to my house. We even like kissed and stuff. Mm. Um, and then she kind of weirded out and just kind of got all awkward and left. I was oh. like, well, what happened there? What's going on? And then I found out the next day, it's this is a, a trans person. Oh. Um, I'm not gonna name them. I'm still friends with them. They're a lovely, pe lovely person, but they, they look like a woman. Like for all intents and purposes, there's, as far as I was concerned, there was no, <laughs> Nothing that would tell me otherwise. Um, but at that moment, I was just like, okay, wow, if I'd have known that earlier, probably wouldn't have kissed you, for mm. one. Um, secondly, I just have no interest in you from a physical perspective. Like, and that's not disrespectful. That's not transphobic. I got no problem with that person being who they are. But I'm just not attracted to someone if they're a biological male. And I don't understand how is that any kind of controversy. Mm. I'm not disrespectful in any way. That's just the basic reality. Yes, and and, uh, and I'm, I mean, we can all acknowledge how hard it is. Uh, I, I had this conversation earlier today. Being trans, um, you know, really suffering through gender dysphoria, which is, mm. as she said, is something that can't be controlled, and trying to find a relationship 
must be really hard. Yeah. But, but at the, the, the end of the day, biology is biology. And I think, well, there are people out there who will happily date trans people. Yep. I mean, I, 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 I know of them. Um, that is a, that's a very difficult journey. And, but you, you can't be calling someone a bigot, I don't yeah. think, just because they won't, they won't date you. Exactly, exactly. And I think the guy on the show, Nathaniel, um, apparently he was open to it. It wasn't a situation where it was sprung upon him out of nowhere. I think the producers were still quite manipulative and he's mm. come out and said that he was manipulated uh, quite a bit in that situation. But, yeah, I, I just wanted to make the point that not wanting to physically be with the trans person is not transphobic and it's just ridiculous to to suggest that like it's mm. just it's absolutely it's absolute garbage like i did a massive interview with blair white i'm um, not sure if you've heard of oh, her she's I love a blair white oh. blair's a legend right My i favorite. spoke with blair for about an hour i did an amazing interview with her and i asked her she said to me at the start of the interview nothing's off limits which i love about <laughs> her and so i asked everything of course and um, she, you know, she really explained that she was starting to feel like she was in the wrong body at the age of like six or seven, mm. um, which was really interesting. And she just she just gave me a lot of insight and a lot of things I would never have thought of. Um, you know, so I've got a lot of empathy for people in that situation, um, but I, I still cannot bring myself to say that. If you're born a woman, you can change to a man. I do not believe that's possible. Mm. Yes, I, I mean, it's, I, I think so, socially um, we can perceive people in the way they want to be perceived if that's what helps them lead a happy yeah. and productive life. And Blair White is, for anyone who doesn't know, check out Blair White's YouTube channel, actually, everyone. She's a trans-conservative, Trump-supporting YouTuber, and she's amazing. Yeah. Um, but Blair is of the opinion, Blair doesn't call herself a woman. Blair, Blair calls herself trans because she is aware that she can look like a woman, but ultimately she's male. And look, I, I think that's what's missing in, in a lot of the discussion. Um, but speaking of which, um, on the subject of the, the gender political war, you actually mm. had a really difficult situation early this year um, when your manager cut professional mm. ties with you because you criticised a drag queen story hour being held at Manly Library in Sydney. And for anyone who doesn't know, drag queen story hour is literally that, where schools and libraries employ a drag queen, so a full regalia, to read stories to children and toddlers. Now, I'm very sorry that happened to you. Tell mm. us a bit about that situation. Yeah, look, it's, it's an ongoing thing where I, I did have a really bad experience with a, a very prominent Sydney drag queen, um, Wigs by Vanity, I think his name is, mm. who was, I was out one night in the city and I think it was the RuPaul drag race opening night and, and this guy was drunk, dressed as a woman, as a drag queen. Um, and I was being, we bumped into him and a couple of his, his drag queen friends and the other two people were very nice people, whereas this Wigs by Vanity person was flashing his underwear, flashing his junk to me and my date at the time. It was completely inappropriate. It was just lewd and aggressive mm. and, and a really horrible situation. And, and I was just like, why do people put drag queens up on a pedestal and think that they're all just these amazing, brave people? They're, they're still people. We should treat them on merit. We should treat every individual based on merit. 
And um, it just got me to looking into the way people put put drag queens up on pedestals. And most drag queens are absolutely lovely people. Mm. Um, this particular person was a terrible person. What happened the next day was they went out on social media and, and had some big rant about me and, and sort of said some negative things about me, which were all just completely off the mark. Um, and it just got me thinking, wow, there's some really bad people in that drag community, right? Mm, as in every community. As in every community. And that's exactly what I said in my post. I uh, My post was about... You know, why is it that people just worship drag queens in general? Why is it that we think it's a good thing to bring a drag queen into Manly Library to read to... It was advertised for three-year-old children. Oh. And it's like being put forward as this big, amazing, brave, eye-opening educational experience that's being paid for by our tax dollars. And I'm just like, hang on a minute. Who is this person? What's their story? So, yeah, I found a photo from from this drag queen's Instagram. Again, I don't even know this drag queen. They could be a lovely person, but I found a photo of this drag queen with, like, his legs spread wide apart Ooh, and a heavens. taco placed right in a Compromising very um, position. crucial <laughs> position. And I was like, all right, so that's the kind of person that we're getting in to read to three-year-old kids at a library. Why is this? Why? And, and I, I do believe there's this pandering right now and this guilt. I think there's a guilt from a lot of people who, look, bad things have happened in the past to gay and lesbian people, drag queens. I'm not going to lie. You know, I think we all need to recognise that in the past there's been some horrible things happen mm. to that community. And I think now a lot of people are trying to overcompensate. <laughs> but like, all right, let's 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 have drag queens everywhere. Let's get them into the library to read to three-year-old kids about gender and, and wearing different clothing. And, and I believe they are trying to indoctrinate them into thinking the way that they want these young kids to think. And I'm like, my post was, why, why are we doing this? Why are my tax dollars paying for this? What is the benefit of this? Can you show me what the benefit of this is? And no mm. one had a good answer. And in fact, the entire drag community came to my Instagram page, started tagging my manager saying, oh, how can no. you represent this guy? Um, this guy's a bigot. This guy's homophobic and every other word, horrible, horrible attacks on me. Like you could not even begin to describe, I couldn't repeat them here, but just the most oh. horrible things were being said. Um, and then sure enough, that afternoon at about 4.30, uh, my management company Stage Addiction sent me an email and said they're, they're dropping me um, oh. because they've had too much pressure. And, and it was something along the lines of, um, we're dropping you because we represent, and they are gay guys, Shane and Ben, the owners yeah. of that company, lovely guys, had nothing but good experiences with them. Um, but they also represent a few people from the LGBTQIA2S plus community. And they said, the I think the exact words were, we have to support them. Oh. I'm like, okay, Shane, what have I said that's anti that community? I've just asked a question as to what is the benefit and, and why are my tax dollars paying for this particular thing to happen? I don't have any problem with the LGBT community. Mm. Uh, I just asked a question about this one specific thing. I don't even have a problem with this drag queen in particular, but no one can tell me what the benefit is other than they, the, the thing that they come out with is like, oh, I wish I had someone like that growing up teaching me about those things and, and I would have had a better life. I'm like, okay, well, 
<laughs> that could be said for a million different things. Oh, yeah. I think it's way too early to be exposing kids to complex themes. And, and I think the first line of my post I said was drag is inherently sexual. Yeah. It is. It's an expression of the fact that you're not happy in your own body. You're a man, you want to dress like a woman. Mm. Man, woman, sexuality. You're wearing, like, just the names. Mm. Like, look at Courtney Act, for example. Courtney Act is, again, lovely person. Mm, Her name is Caught in the Act. Caught in the Act, exactly. Almost every drag queen has a sexual name. If you go to a drag performance, almost every joke is sexual innuendo. It comes from a world of sexuality. That, That culture comes from a world of complex sexuality and innuendo and jokes like that, and Mm. I don't see why it needs to be exposed to children as young as three, and I don't see why our tax dollars need to pay for that. Mm. I I mean, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I just... I, to- I totally agree with you. I mean, I've, I've talked about this a number of times and I've said exactly what you said, that drag, whichever way you squeeze it, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> is, is inherently sexual. It's yeah. a hyper-sexualized, hyper-feminine yeah. art form. And I don't know why of all the people you would have reading to children, you, you could have a fairy or a pixie or a teddy bear. Or Why? a nurse or, or a, a doctor. A doctor or, or a, a firefighter, a like, yeah. Why would you have a bloke in a dress? <laughs> but speaking of which, you've called out the gender craziness being pushed on children mm. a number of times. Um, one time in particular stands out. I've got a little video of yours that we'll have a little look at. Oh, here we go. This photo is taken at a primary school kids daycare centre in Sydney. What cool new sexual identities are these kids learning about today? Abrosexual. Abrosexual refers to an individual whose sexuality is changing or fluid. For example, someone could be gay one day, then asexual an hour later, then polysexual 20 minutes later. Woo-wee! I remember when we used to just call that horny, but <laughs> now we have the word abrosexual. Sick. What's this other one these five-year-old kids are learning about today? Here we go. Neptunic. This orientation is mostly used by non-binary people to describe their attraction without relying on the gender binary, but it can be used by anyone. The term can be used as a sexuality on its own or can be combined with other orientations. So there you have it, kids learning some new dope shit. Peace. Now, Dean, I I thought I'd heard everything, but Neptunic is a new one. (laughs) Hey, I've got no idea. I don't even know what... I made the video and I still don't know what it means. (laughs) What is going on there? Are they kidding themselves? These people are delusional. And I've had people, so many people, come to my page and try and justify, oh, well... Kids need to learn about this kind of thing. And I'm like, do you know what it is? I'm like, well, no, I don't, I'm not sure. And I was like, have you ever used the word abrosexual in a sentence? Not one person ever has. <laughs> I'm like, why do we need to teach this stuff to kids? It's ridiculous. I Aside know. from being inappropriate, it's just absolute insanity, isn't it? It's so niche. Like, oh. uh, like I said, I watched that video of yours, which was very entertaining and very well produced, by the way. Love, all, love the setup and the uh, music and everything. Really good, really. Thank you. But I was thinking, I, I'm immersed in woke culture as part of my job, Dean, and I'd never heard of Neptunic oh. 
or abrosexual. If I haven't heard of those words, what value is of them being taught to children? Like, who uses this terminology? What? It's absolute garbage. Again, I think... Sometimes that side, the left side, the LGBTQ extremists are overcompensating. Yeah. You know, and like I think the vast majority of people, we lie somewhere in the middle, right? Where most people are pretty accepting. Even the, you know, a lot of people that lean towards the left, you know, are pretty reasonable. But I think this is a case where some some kind of people who are more extreme on the left are mm. really trying to push some of the more extreme concepts, especially on kids, because I don't know if something bad's happened to them in the past or they're, they're really just struggling with some mental health things. But yeah. I think that is a sign of over, overcompensating in the, in the other direction, really trying to push this very niche, like you said, like so niche and bizarre ideas onto kids. Like mm. why? Like you don't teach kids about like war, for example, and like how, you know, very extreme things that might happen in war. Or you don't teach kids about jail and, and the horrible things that happen to people in jail mm. and extreme things like that just because kids are, are still learning. Like we let them get to 15 before we start, you know, talking to them about extreme things. There's very good reasons for that. And like, I'm just, I was shocked at that one. I can't yeah. believe at a school in Sydney, they're trying to push that rubbish. Oh, I can I can believe it at a school in Sydney. Oh. <laughs> I can totally believe it. But it is, it is, it is just bizarre. And as, as the saying goes, let, let kids be kids is, is my philosophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, now, Dean, um, we've reached a point in the conversation where it's it's time to talk about a particular person. No. Um, and that that person is uh, very well regarded feminist commentator Clementine Ford. Very well regarded. She Your is your best very... mate, isn't she? Oh, yeah, my oh, best bud, besties like this. Yes. Mm. <laughs> no. But look, I I didn't initially want to give her too much oxygen in this chat, but we've both had our issues with her. Mm -hmm. And also, more importantly, she's actually written a book that was published only a few days ago, so she's quite topical and I'm interested mm. um, in your in your take. Now, she um, is an avid viewer of Married at First Sight. Yeah. She was always writing blogs about them. And just in my personal opinion, um, she was a little bit critical of you while you were mm. on the show, wasn't she? Oh, just a little bit. She wrote an article which, uh, at this time, I'd never heard of her. Mm. And so this article came out, who I think is from a respected journalist, <laughs> but she used language along the lines of, basically she used language that associated me with domestic violence, oh. um, with like rape culture and um, language that implied that, that I was kind of a violent person and, and somehow, so you gotta understand, right? When I was on MAFS, it was at the height of the Me Too movement. Oh, heavens. You know, and it was wild at that time. Men, perfectly innocent men were getting taken down left, right and centre for just saying one wrong word or something. Not going to lie, there's obviously some bad men that got, you know, taken down and got what they deserved as well. But if you remember, towards the end of it, it was just like... It was getting out of control and um, Clementine jumped on that bandwagon, in my opinion, and, and sort of really tried to paint me as this person who, who I am not. Um, to be associated with domestic violence is absolutely disgusting. 
Um, and the worst part about it is they never reach out to me for a comment. Mm. It's like, and, and, and again, they're very careful. I, I believe she was working at the, the Daily Telly or one of those big newspapers at the time. And they're the very age. They're very careful. So lawyers check everything before it goes out. So she never directly accused me of committing domestic violence. But she used language that, that associated me with that kind of action and those kind of crimes, mm. which, you know, that, that was heartbreaking at the time. It was just like, you know, I'm, I'm someone that is completely against those things. I'm, I'm someone who's grown up, you know, taught by my father to, to treat women with respect and, and to never hit a woman. Like, and, and I believe that to this day, I would never touch a woman in, in violence. And it's absolutely disgusting to be associated with those kind of things. And you know what, that, that was really a, a red pill moment for me because right here in a major news publication, I'm seeing direct lies told about me, like straight up what she's saying and the way she's wording things and implying things and associating me with those things is completely untrue. Hmm. And I'm just like here going, wow. Yeah, A lot of people are believing this. Mm. This is how the media works. This is how feminism works. This is how the hard left work. They lie. The hard left just lies to push their agenda. Mm. And it was a real eye-opening moment for me where I went, okay, if that's how you want to play it, let's go. I'll, I'll push back on you. I'll call you out on your absolute bullshit and lies. And, um, you know, that, that's partly why I've dedicated some of my life to pushing back against the likes of Clementine and Abby Chatfield and others. They're, the pop, uh, pop culture feminists, yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. They're, so many of them are just pushing an agenda, just, just have no regard for the men whose lives they can potentially ruin, hmm. never apologise when they do get it wrong, never have any accountability for the things they say in these major news publications. They think they have the moral high ground. Mm. It's like, what? No, you're the one who's lying here. You're the one who's making up absolute garbage and potentially ruining a perfectly innocent man's life. You're the one who should be ashamed. You're the one who should be taking accountability here. Um, And they never do. Mm. They never do. They think that they're in the right somehow. And it's absolutely disgusting and hilarious. I think Clementine Ford is beyond a joke at this point. The only people who really take her seriously are her extremist fans, in my opinion. Um, I think she's crazy. That's that's my opinion. She's absolutely lost the plot. Have you checked in on these people lately? You can't say the word woman. Woman, Mm. you can't say that anymore. You can't you know, everyone has to have the correct pronoun. It takes five minutes to have a normal conversation with someone because you've got to go through all these protocols and, oh, well, this is her and they're, they're uh, she, her, and, um, <laughs> like, they've lost the plot. Well, it's, it's just that the, the, the trans ideology has, has kind of cannibalised the modern feminist movement. Oh, it, yes, 100%. That's how Sydney Watson put it to me. I did an interview with her on my YouTube channel and she said it, that it's cannibalised it really feminism. Has. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's sort of where the left has kind of gone. And yes, just to qualify everything Dean and I say, it's just our opinion. This is all just in our personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but look, speaking of Clementine, um, as I mentioned, she's recently published a book. Right. Uh, which she's writes a hell of a lot of books. It's, it's, she's very impressive, the amount of content she produces. Uh, but it's about, of all things, marriage. Oh. And it's called I Don't. 
um, a, a Case Against Marriage. I haven't had a chance to read it yet because it's only just come out, but I have ordered my copy and I will read it soon. So mm. you're welcome, Clementine. I'm contributing to your book royalties. Mm. So obviously we can't comment in detail on the content because we haven't yeah. read it, but we can comment on the principle. Now, Dean, I'm married and you recently become engaged, so we'll be married soon. Mm. I really hate to see this and I don't want to be mean, but if Clementine Ford is going to write a book about marriage, mm. maybe in my opinion, wouldn't it make sense that she at least get married mm. first? Like, don't knock yeah. it till you've tried it? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I mean, look, I, I think in, in the past, marriage was more of a necessity. And, and I think, you know, in our modern society, there's so much more mobility and, and it's possible for people to live a life without marriage. It's not for everyone. And it is a religious kind of ritual and undertaking. I think if you get married, it should be done in a church, mm. you know. Um, and if you're not doing it in a church and you're not respecting the religious ideology behind it, then why are you doing it, um, you know? And I've got great friends who have a really strong relationship but never got married. And for all intents and purposes, they're a great couple and, you know, have lived a great life um, without having to be married and have that certificate and put a ring on the finger. And, and you know, so I, I can kind of see some points of that side of the argument. You know, I think in our modern age we don't need it as much. But on the flip side of that, I still believe family is the most important thing in our world and having two parents who are there for a kid and, and can raise a child in, in that environment where, you know, the dad is a father figure and the mum is a mother figure and that, I still believe, is the most productive and, and healthy way for our society to move forward. So I, mm. I don't see what, like, yeah, okay, I get it, maybe marriage is not for everyone, but it's still a very valuable and important part of our society, in my opinion. Um, and it's just Clem going off on attention. She'll say anything for attention. Um, she'll she'll write whatever's going to sell books and whatever the the cool thing is that month. But I these days I I ignore the likes of Clementine Ford, and I've come to realise that the vast majority of people are just normal good people who believe in things like marriage and raising children in the correct way. I mean, isn't she raising her son as non-binary? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think um, from memory, I read when he was born, they said they'd use his biological sex as a guide. But oh. uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think he's. I think. I think he's fairly comfortable being a boy currently. I haven't heard anything, anything else about it. But. Um, yeah, look, she's a she's an interesting woman. I'm very much looking forward to reading her her book on on marriage. Um, I I, for the record, love being married. Um, yeah. And Dean, I know you are going to love being married too. So. To each their own, I suppose. Now, Dean, um, just before we go, um, I have to get your take on the voice to parliament. Um, mm. Just because you had a, a really good take on it and I'd like to chat about it. Yeah. Um, the referendum obviously failed. Uh, and you said on your Instagram that the loss wasn't a personal dig at Indigenous people mm. and instead was the result of the fact that most people are going through one of the most challenging times in their lives right now thanks to the cost of living crisis and that it was unfair for the government to focus on one small segment of the population when so many people are suffering. Can you elaborate mm. on that a bit for us? Oh, 100%. It's like, okay, so 
This government's just been elected, what, a bit over a year ago? Mm. What have they done? What have they actually achieved? What have they done for the entire population? What have they done to improve all these problems, which, yeah, maybe some of them aren't their fault, but they are the government now. It's their responsibility, no matter what. They are the leaders. Uh, Albo's the leader. He should be tackling the, pro the problems that are affecting all of us. And the biggest thing that he comes out with is this voice to parliament where, like, a lot of people didn't understand it. A lot of people don't know exactly what it means, what it could lead to. But at the end of the day, I, I just feel, and myself and a lot of people I know included, were just kind of like, oh, okay, like, you know, the voice, what is this thing? All right, we're also struggling. Like, so many people are struggling with their mortgages or to pay rent or to find a place to live or to buy groceries, like simple things that weren't a problem, like, four years ago, five years ago, simple things that we should be able to take for granted in, in, you know, a modern Western society. And none of those things have really been addressed in any way, really, like, mm. like that I know of. And like the first thing that they want to get on the agenda and make a big deal about is this, you know, kind of woke virtue signaling kind of voice to parliament, which again, uh, I don't really understand exactly what it is. I think I, I've got a lot of respect for Aboriginal culture. Okay. And I, I want Aboriginal culture in Australia to be preserved as best we can. Hmm. Right. And, and, I, and I respect that they lived here for thousands and thousands of years. And, and I think that's an amazing national, international treasure that we should appreciate. But at the same time, and I think it was Jacinta Price said it so well, she said something like, well, you know, are Aboriginal people really that much worse off mm. since, since you know, Western culture came here? Like they have running water, they have access to food, they have access to shelter. You know, there's a lot of positives to being part of the modern world. It's not just all negative. And I think so many people just want to always focus on the negative and this use of the word colonizers and, and white people are the worst people in the world because they're all colonizers and people just get sick of that rhetoric. It's like they really do. We're not colonizers. I'm not a colonizer. I didn't I was born here. My grandparents were born here. My ancestors came over on on ships as well and were treated very poorly. Like mm. <laughs> there's a couple of factors to it. You know, I could rant on about this all day, but yeah, there's definitely the factor of Albo and the Labor government haven't done one good thing as far as I can see for the general population and for all of Australia. And then this is the first thing that they want to do. Yeah. It was you know? the time the timing of it was so ridiculous. Straight after COVID, yep. first term of government, try to push you a referendum. I mean, I mean yeah. really? But very well said, Dean, you know, and I think Thank you, you I think you hit, I didn't hear too many people making that point, but I, I think mm. you've I think you really hit the name on the head. I think that's why a lot of people voted no. Now, um, one thing I have to ask you that, that you've done that I love is you appeared with dancing, you appeared on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yes. yes, so he's a, he's a reality TV star two times over. I have a confession. Um, oh, no. It is a dream of mine to be a contestant on Dancing with the oh, Stars. <laughs> Although yeah. I don't think I'm, I don't really think I'm famous enough, but I would, I would love to be. Um, was that a fun show to be part of? It looks yeah. like so much fun. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, um, it was so challenging though. Like, I'd never danced before. I'm six foot four, basically got the build of a rugby second rower. 
Um, <laughs> so probably the last person that should be putting on dancing shoes. But my my dance trainer, Alex, was just such a, an inspiration. She was, she was like, come on, Dean, let's go, let's do this. And, and like I... I took seven weeks of straight training every single day. Uh, I would be getting up at sort of seven in the morning, doing my work for the day, then going to training up at Mossman from starting from 1, 1 p.m., training at least seven hours every oh. single day. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's full on. You know, mm. it's not all fun and games. You know, you guys, are, you, you see, you know, 10% if that of all the training and preparation and costume and all the other things that go into it like it's full on mm. to be able to get on stage and dance in front of a live audience but also a live audience at home um you got to be prepared i mean I, I think half the fun with that show is people like me stuffing it up and <laughs> um you know that's I, i'm pretty much came good with that promise my dances were pretty terrible Aww. but um <laughs> it was an amazing experience and you know i'm very grateful to, to have had that experience, and you should definitely go on it. I think I you're famous enough. I think they've had people way less famous than you. <laughs> well, that is very encouraging to hear, Dean, um, that you think I might be famous enough. Because honest to God, I would, I would love it. I would like, I would. You'd be I love great on I love there. dancing. <laughs> Thank you. So fingers crossed, maybe one day that dream will become a reality. All right. Now, I'll Dean, put a word in for you. Oh, that would be Probably very make sweet it of you. worse for you. So maybe it's best if I don't do that. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the encouragement. Thank you. Now, Dean, this has been so much fun. And just before we go, just quickly tell us about your podcast, Dangerous Ideas. Yeah, so I just, um, I like to talk about things that interest me. Um, I came up with the idea of the word dangerous ideas because it's just so silly in this day and age that something you can think about or say could be considered dangerous or, or you know, something we're not allowed to talk about. And I, I love talking about things that I'm supposedly not, not allowed to talk about. So I do a lot of it on, on YouTube, on Dangerous Ideas with Dino. Uh, a lot of stuff I just do on my Instagram at Dean Wells, where I, I just like to, I, I am a, uh, what's the word? A contrarian. Contrarian. Like if you tell me one thing, I'm going to say the opposite. If you say something I disagree with, I'm going to explore the opposite of that idea. And mm. I've always been like that. I love, and that's not to say I'm just, you know, being nasty for the sake of it. It's like, no, no, let's explore this idea. Let's explore the, everything around it and it from every angle. And that's kind of what I like to do on all my social media is like question things, keep an open mind, um, and basically just poke yeah. fun at lefties, really. That's the main <laughs> thing I do on there. Well, that, so that's, something, that's something we both do on, on yeah. social media. Yes, everyone, I highly recommend you follow Dean on social media, He's Dean, especially on Instagram. His Instagram account is great fun. It's Dean Wells. Um, and go check out Dangerous Ideas with Dino on YouTube. He does a wonderful job. Dean Wells, you are delightful. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Oh, my pleasure. I've been a massive fan of yours for a long time. So more than happy to, to meet you. And it's my, my honour to be here. So thank you for having me. Well, it was great fun. And hopefully we see you again. Sounds great. Well, that's all we've got time for tonight on Daisy Cousins Presents. What fabulous fun to have someone like Dean Wells on the program. Thank you to everyone who made tonight possible. Make sure you tune in next week and every week for more of the world's most fascinating creative people. 
Up next is the wonderful Alan Jones. Good night, world. I'll see you soon.